Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 Podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp. I'm joined today by Luke Stampini. And Luke, we have quite a lot of things to get to today. Uh, I wanted to first start with the recruiting recap before we get into some of the more fall camp type stuff. Uh, we've got some, you know, some updates on the secondary, some troubling losses for Florida there. Um, but first, let's get to recruiting. Uh, speaking of the secondary, C.J. Henderson has a younger brother who's a top 2020 wideout. Uh, by the name of Xavier Henderson. He recently gave you a top five, and you were able to speak to him a little bit about his commitment timeline. I guess, can you kind of fill us in on the latest with uh, C.J. Henderson's younger brother? Yeah, I guess the most important thing right now for Florida fans is the fact he plans to take his recruitment all the way you know, to, to January and, and announce it an All-American game and not sign in December uh, because his school doesn't allow him to graduate early, and so he's going to sign in February, and this recruitment looks like it's going to go the distance. And if you're a Florida fan, I think you got to feel good about that because you're going up against Clemson, and Clemson has this sneaky way of of speeding up these commitment timelines. Uh, we saw it with Demarcus Bowman, uh, the five star running back out of Lakeland, and you know with Xavier sticking to his guns, wanting to take this all the way to the end. I think that's good for Florida. Florida's battling Clemson, as we mentioned, but also uh, Alabama, LSU, and Georgia round out his top five. And he plans to take official visits to you know all five of those schools. For Florida, I think there's a fighting chance here. Obviously, his brother plays at Florida right now. He says that doesn't factor in his decision because he sees uh, CJ going pro this uh, this year, a year early, and, and they won't play uh, college ball together. Um, but he also sees Florida is going to lose a lot of wide receivers, and he you know he sees the ability to step in right away year one and, and make an impact which maybe not something he could do it at Clemson the way they've recruited, sure. um, you know, the wide receiver position. Well, that, that stands out to me too. I think you look at Florida's depth chart, um, you know, guys are going to be able to play right away. When you talk about guys like Henderson and, and, you know, some of the programs you mentioned that Florida is going to be battling uh, to me, that's, these are the kind of battles that Florida has to start winning. And when you look at that receiver depth chart, that's a spot where you should be able to sell that pretty immediate playing time. So I'd say that's an important one for the Gators to, to really uh, kind of hone in on and try to win that battle. There's a couple other ones, I think, that are really important as well, and we've talked about them on this podcast a couple times already. Uh, in particular, offensive tackles, another one of those spots that Florida really needs some guys uh, in the immediate future to step in. Uh, I know you talked to Marcus Dumerville recently. We, we've talked about him a number of times on the podcast. What's the latest on how that battle's shaping up? It seems to be more or less uh, SEC-centric at this point. Yeah, so Marcus himself doesn't give you much on his recruitment. And so I, I, I went to his teammates and, and kind of see what they had to say. And we wrote an article about that on Swamp247.com earlier this week where they gave their predictions and everyone kind of seems to believe it's an LSU-Florida battle. And that kind of lines up with what we thought heading in at the end of July. You know, he took his first or his first visit to Florida for Friday Night Lights and it seemed like the Gators – knocked the visit out of the park and became a serious, con, uh, you know, contender in this recruitment. Uh, he, he's already used his official visit to LSU and LSU is very much in the mix here. And, you know, for Florida, you're thinking this recruitment probably 
it's going to go for a while. Florida still has that official visit that they can use. Hopefully they can potentially get him up on campus for an unofficial visit since he is an in-state kid as well. And you can slowly chip away at the lead that maybe LSU had and you can overcome them and, and, you know, ultimately land him at the end. I, I don't think he's a kid that, uh, that's close to making a decision similar to Henderson. I think he's going to go deep into the recruiting cycle. He mentioned potentially taking official visits to USC and Ohio state. Um, maybe Ohio, I'm sorry, maybe USC could, you know, make a run, but I don't, I don't see that really. Uh, ultimately I think it's going to come down to, uh, LSU and Florida. And while Florida may not have the edge right now, I think when you project out several months down the line, uh, you know, I think Florida can overcome LSU given the fact that they've already burned their official visit. Look, I got a, I got a question for you and we didn't really talk about this before the podcast, but do you think it's an advantage for Florida at all um, to have some of these recruitments kind of going late into the cycle? I do. Like, I, I think the more time that Florida has, they can show a, a, a second year of, of quality play. You know, I think last year's 10-win season was good, and it helped propel them into uh, signing day with a, a solid close, a, a pretty good close. Um, the problem with Florida over the years has just kind of been the inconsistency, good year, bad year. Mm-hmm. Um solid start to a year fizzle at the end, whatever it may be. If, and I think we all expect Florida to have a solid year this year, right? You know, nine, 10 wins, uh, maybe more. And, you know, if Mullen and his staff can show that there is consistency, uh, you know, within the program, they're continuing to put a good product on the field and, you know, let these recruitments kind of play out the longer they go. I think, you know, in a lot of these recruitments, the proximity home starts to weigh in, you know, early on the process, a lot of kids are like, ah, I'm going to go out of state. And once it decision day gets closer, I think they start realizing, you know, maybe it's not best for me to, to go a plane right away. You know, maybe just a, a four hour drive is best. And so, right. you know, these recruitments, I do think the longer they go, uh, it could benefit Florida. Well, one guy that, uh, speaking of the offensive tackles and Florida's need there, I mean, one guy that, uh, you mentioned four hours away. Isaiah Walker's one that immediately comes to mind, you know, kind of initially committed to South Carolina. Uh, he's backed off that pledge. Florida's obviously in the mix. Where where do the Gators stand with him? Yeah, this recruitment has kind of gotten a, a little bit more murky uh, as it's gone along. You know, I think Florida was in a great spot to flip him from South Carolina. Uh, he, he never backed off of that South Carolina commitment for a couple months until I think July, early July is when he finally decommitted. Well, in that time from February to July, you had Miami get him on campus numerous times. He's obviously a local kid, so it's going to be easy for the Hurricanes to get him on campus. Florida State's jumped into the mix and, and has his attention because he literally could go there and, and play probably day one, to be honest with you. He's kind of, the, he's that type of talent and Florida state has that type of need on the offensive line. And so here we are sitting in August and, you know, I think it's a, a big three battle, you know, and I, I don't think uh, anyone can say he's going to go to Florida, Florida state or Miami with any conviction at this time. I think there's, uh, you know, Isaiah is going to go through the recruitment and kind of enjoy the process and, you know, and kind of see how this shakes out. And this kind of goes back to how important it is for Florida on the field. They open the season with uh, Miami, uh, an impressive win versus the Hurricanes certainly 
could help them in, in recruitments like Walker. And then they're going to end the season with FSU. And if they could get another impressive win like they did last year versus FSU, you know, that even kind of shows these recruits that where Florida is trending and where do they uh, stack up versus the other in-state schools. I mean, obviously, those on-the-field results are important. Um, one thing I wonder a little bit, um, I've, and I've heard you say it a couple times, that Florida really knocks these on-campus visits out of the park. You mentioned it with Doomerville. Uh, I believe Walker also had a very positive experience at Friday Night Lights. Is there anything other than on the field that, uh, or, or is it just my perceptions wrong, that Florida maybe loses a little bit of steam between those those visits where they really, really make a positive impression and just kind of the length of time that you know, goes on there where other schools maybe kind of get in the mix and start to get their foothold. Yeah. You know, I think maybe some of the point, uh, problem may be just kind of pressing, you know, and, and, you know, I think people have kind of mixed reviews on, is it good? Is it bad? You know, to kind of press these kids. I, I don't think Florida, you know, like back in February with Isaiah Walker, I think if Florida presses and really pushes the issue with him, they potentially could get him to flip from South Carolina to Florida. Now, the problem is he's a Miami kid. This recruitment isn't going to end back in February. Right. It, it might not have mattered then. Sure. Exactly. And so, you know, I, I think this just kind of the pressuring and, and really trying to push the issue and, and maybe not, um, you know, take your time. It's your, you know, make sure you're, you know, you're a hundred percent with this commitment. Um, you know, it's a, different trains of thought, different schools do it differently. And, you know, the Florida doesn't really have that, you know, really pressing them and trying to get them on board. Now, some of that's obviously personality. You know, I know Dan Mullen's a laid back guy. Do you think that some of the additions that Florida's made in the off the field recruiting staff can help in that regard, just in terms of communication and maybe staying in touch, staying on top of these guys a little bit more? The off the field is all about the communication, you know, like they're not the ones going in home and they're not really the ones that are having the day to day interactions with uh, these recruits over the phone and and, uh, with their parents and whatnot. Now, when they come to campus, obviously, they're very hands on there, showing them around campus and and, you know, having that interaction with them. But ultimately, the communication and the organization is what that off the field um, you know, recruiting staff, that's kind of their job. And it's basically making it easy for the coaching staff. The coaching staff has a season to prepare for, um, you know, right now and, and on through Thanksgiving. And so uh, while they still have to recruit and whatnot, the off the field staff kind of helps and, and mm-hmm. makes it easier for them, whether that's lining up phone calls, whether that's keeping them in the loop as far as, you know, recruitments, you know, setting up these unofficial visits and, um, but you know, their job is kind of to do all the dirty work behind the scenes while the coaching staff, uh, you know, coaches a season. All right, Luke, before we wrap up, uh, the recruiting section and get into kind of fall camp and some of the other stuff going on there, uh, LSU defensive back, Kelvin Joseph is a guy that's, uh, pursuing a transfer, visited Florida recently. What's the, uh, the latest on his status? You know, we're kind of in kind of status quo, kind of waiting out to see what Kelvin decides you know, he took that official visit to Florida. I think Florida is where he wants to go and where he'll ultimately end up. We're just kind of waiting. I know there was some talk about maybe clearing Florida's admissions and they were waiting on that. And so while we're recruiting, uh, recording this, I don't think anything official has been announced. Uh, but, you know, ultimately, I think he he picks Florida and, 
you know, the Gators see him as kind of a stopgap to to come in and immediately fill some needs that they have in the secondary. Uh, he's a guy that can swing between cornerback and safety, and you know, the the depth at either of those positions is could be deeper for Florida. He's a talented guy. I think he was a top fifty recruit coming out of high school, um, and I think Florida also getting him out of Louisiana could benefit him, you know, on and off the field. And so they're going to take a chance on Kelvin and, and I think Kelvin will, will pick UF and, you know, it's not never a bad thing to have a guy that may have a bad experience at one of your, you know, rivals LSU and, and will play with a chip on his shoulder once he gets to UF. And, you know, all those things are kind of factoring in. And I think that's why Florida wants him and ultimately why I think Florida gets him. And he's an extremely talented player, no doubt. And uh, certainly at a spot that Florida could definitely use some help for the, the next few years, which we're going to get into on the other side of this break. Guys, stay tuned. We'll have plenty coming up. We're going to talk some John Huggins, some C.J. McWilliams, uh, what Dan Mullen's looking in terms of alpha dog leadership on the team, and then some things to watch coming up in fall camp right on the other side of this break. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. This is Luke Stampini. Thomas, with Thomas Goldcamp as well, tell us about John Huggins. Florida Gators safety, defensive back, has missed all of fall camp. What's the latest there? Well, as of now, uh, we don't really have a firm grasp on exactly when Huggins will be back. Um, So it's been a little bit of a mystery throughout fall camp. Initially at the team's media day, Dan Mullen told us that he expected him back that weekend. Uh, which would have been, you know, about a week and a half ago now. And he never showed up. Um, after that, Florida and Dan Mullen both said he was out with a family issue. Um, bottom line, uh, there have been some rumors out there for a while that Huggins may be dealing with something or other uh, that could keep him off the field for uh, some length of time this season. Not exactly sure how long that is. Um, but reporters obviously, you know, tried to do their due diligence and began, you know, looking into any kind of records that may surface, anything like that. Um, and there were a few things that came up from last fall. OK, um, real quick, just to lay those out. Um, Huggins was um, accused by a tutor of putting his hands around her neck um, in October of last year. 
Florida had played Huggins in the first five games. They went on to sit him out the next five. Um, so we asked Dan Mullen yesterday if his absence was related to that, and he said it is not related to that, that that has already been handled. Okay, so facts on the table. Um, that's stuff that came out this week uh, from a long time ago, and there's a lot. there's been a lot of discussion in the fan base about why that came out when it did, and I think I can help probably shed some light on all that. But the bottom line is uh, essentially that Florida was counting on John Huggins and, and is still counting on John Huggins to be their primary backup to trading at the nickel. Um, and his absence has left a lot of question marks, I'll say. So I guess explain kind of coat or walk us through why that uh, incident from October came out now. Um, you know, I, I know the background, but I, I think maybe a lot of Florida fans don't really understand why that a story from back in October is now coming out in, in August? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Okay, so a lot of people have asked kind of why why was that newsworthy if it's already been handled, um, you know, and it was from last October and there were no charges filed by the tutor. Um, and those are all perfectly fair questions. Those are ones that we grappled with uh, when we were deciding kind of what to do with the information when we got the police reports. Um, the biggest The biggest thing for me that makes it newsworthy is that uh, precisely what we just talked about, that Huggins is a guy that Florida is absolutely counting on to be a key player in the secondary this year, okay? Um, if he wasn't going to challenge for a starting spot and he had an absolutely terrific spring, at the very least, he was probably going to be the top backup in the secondary. So out of those five guys that are starters, the two safeties, whoever they end up being, most likely Juwan Taylor and Donovan Steiner, um, your cornerbacks, Marco Wilson, C.J. Henderson, and Nickelback Trading. If any of those guys would have gone down, I would have bet dollars to donuts and still would that Huggins will be the guy that would step in. Now, however, Florida rotated that in the secondary to make that work. The bottom line is Huggins is a guy that they were counting on. OK, and so his absence from fall camp, even if it's not related to those incidents, is newsworthy. And it, it's something that is going to continue to come up for Dan Mullen um, until he returns. Now, the thing I, I can say is that when we went back and we were looking at at these rumors in mid-July um, that were circulating out there. I'm sure some people that are listening are familiar with the rumors. Um, some people probably aren't. But the bottom line is we were trying to get background and, and figure out why Huggins may be missing, essentially, having heard that he was likely to miss some time. And what we got back was not necessarily what we expected to find. Um, but there has been a pattern at Florida over the past year, and I'm, I'm not assigning blame to anybody for this. I'm not saying it's Dan Mullen's fault. I'm not saying it's the staff's fault. But Florida has now had five incidents of alleged violence against women. Okay, And I say alleged because there were no charges in, I believe, three of the cases. Um, and because four of the people that were involved, with the, the fifth being Huggins, are no longer with the program. So I have a couple different thoughts on this. I think one, the fact that there are so many is a little bit troubling. Um, and I think that's part of why the question was posed to Dan Mullen. It was kind of phrased in a way that maybe made it seem a little bit like gotcha, you know, journalism, so to speak. Um, but I can tell you that there were conversations that went on behind the scenes before Mullen was presented with that question on camera as well, um, where Mullen was well prepared for the questions. He knew they were coming. Uh, it possibly could have been handled in different ways as well. Um, but Florida said, hey, look, guys, we know it's out there. Um, if you guys have questions, just ask them. And so Dan Mullen answered them. And I thought the conversation went pretty well. I mean, Dan Mullen focused on the fact that, yes, they've had these issues, 
Um, but he raised the point, like like I mentioned, that a lot of these guys are either a no longer with the program, and two weren't charged. Um, so anyway, as it gets back to Huggins, all of this kind of uh, creates a, a background or a context that, in my mind, is important when discussing a key player not being there in fall camp, because we don't know exactly what the issue is that's keeping him out now. But at the very least, this gives fans some. Maybe not fully necessary background, but it gives you context into what Florida's coaches are aware of and maybe dealing with when it comes to all of the factors that surround John Huggins' absence, if that makes sense. Um, I don't know. If, if, if you have any questions about that or want to direct me further, that'd be great. But that's kind of hopefully I laid kind of a groundwork for where we're at. Well, and then ultimately back to why this all broke, I guess, this week is you didn't. And when you did your digging back in July and you asked for these records, you didn't get the records back and from the police department until. Right, right. This there was weekend or right, there were something. four weeks in between. Right. So that's the other thing. A lot of a lot of people are like, oh, you know, why is this getting sprung two weeks before Florida's first game or three weeks, whatever it is. And uh, to be frank, that's all completely dependent on when. Uh, we were responded to. I mean, we were looking into this over the summer. Um, but regardless, I think, you know, the important thing is that I, d- I would I would prefer to look at this um, less from the angle of, of why it's out there at this point, because it is out there and that's not going to change. I think the important thing is, is there anything um, that Florida fans should be concerned about in terms of the pattern, which is part of the reason why this was brought up. Um, and for me, I think there's a couple ways to look at it. One, I would say that most of the players, uh, and and we'll talk a little bit of specifics, Jalen Jones, Brian Edwards, um, Justin Watkins was gone before he ever even got, you know, basically ever even played a game. Um, So I think that the the response from Florida staff has been pretty appropriate. Um, On the other, on the flip side, I can see that people looking at this, um, just in terms of the bigger picture, we'll look at Dan Mullen's history and say, well, you know, Jeffrey Simmons had a history and stuff like that. To me, that's where you get back to, okay, what's the track record? Um, what's the end result? Because to this point, I have not seen from anybody uh, anything other than that Jeffrey Simmons has pretty much been a model guy at Mississippi State. And, and you know, it seems like Dan Mullen really did his homework on him. And that was a guy that he very staunchly went to bat for. And at least to this point, it seems like maybe Dan Mullen had a very positive impact on his life to the way to the point that that was a good thing. And that was um, something that was actually productive in the long run, not just for the football program, but for Jeffrey Simmons as a person. I think that Dan Mullen very much views himself as a guy uh, who wants to be a mentor to young men who maybe come from backgrounds where some of this stuff is normalized, so to speak, um, and they're not used to it. And so I understand like you're going to have some of these incidents no matter what. When you're in a college football program, it's just going to happen. So to me, the more important thing is how do you deal with it? And, and in terms of evaluating how Mullen's dealt with it, I think you look at the four, uh, you know, the four previous guys, them all being gone. I have trouble finding a whole lot of fault so far, you know, in the way Mullen's dealt with them in terms of um, in terms of, of how he's disciplined them, so to speak. He gives them a chance. Here's all the facts. And, mm-hmm. and it's a very you know, patient ult- process. Correct. And I think people want instantly, here's an allegation, get rid of them. And, you know, sometimes that may be the case. Uh, Maybe that needs to be done. I don't know. But he's at least 
hearing all the information and letting things play out before ultimately uh, decisions are made. And, and that's the thing that I think is important is these are these all have to be case by case basis because these are not they're not the same incident. I mean, everybody we're talking about them being a pattern, but each one is, a, is an individual separate incident. And some have been dealt with much more quickly than others. Justin Watkins was dealt with very, very immediately. Um, I think for me, uh, in some ways, I think the proof will be in the pudding. Dan Mullen, at this point, at least looks like he's sticking his neck out a little bit for John Huggins. Um, I, and again, obviously, we we only have the police report. We don't have John Huggins in front of us saying this didn't happen or this did happen or this and that. Um, so we're going on kind of one set of fact patterns, knowing that Dan Mullen probably has done further investigation, further research. To me, the proof, you know, is is kind of going forward. If, if John Huggins ends up going through his career, having no problems and ends up being a great model citizen, then great. Dan Mullen probably did the right thing. Um, but in terms of perception now, Florida is going to be dealing with this perception that it, it it's somewhat of an issue and i think it'll be important that florida not make missteps from here and give the wrong guy a second chance um because that could be very harmful to the program one last little thing i want to talk about in terms of um florida versus some of these other programs because a lot of people are like oh if this was georgia or alabama this would never happen and there is some degree of truth to that um the big difference when you're talking about florida versus some of these other programs is that the availability of of online and open records in Florida is much higher due to Florida state laws. Um, so it's much easier to get actual concrete police reports than it is in Alabama, Ohio, Georgia, some of these other states. So it's not that these programs like Alabama and Georgia don't necessarily have the rumors going around about certain players. It's that a lot of times it's easier to track down and get concrete information in Florida, which means, you know, a lot of times Florida gets reported on probably at a higher rate. So I thought that was worth noting just for fans that may not be kind of aware of that. Let's move on to the on-field impact, uh, you know, from these uh, losses. Obviously, you had C.J. McWilliams go down with a torn Achilles. Uh, John Huggins, as we discussed, is out, and we're not sure when he'll return. How does this affect Florida's secondary? Well, you know, I I really thought Florida would be deeper in the secondary um, after signing day. And this is, again, you know, I hate to bring up Chris Steele again, but that's where a loss of that guy hurts because C.J. McWilliams, um, you know, certainly a very, very nice guy, but I I don't necessarily think it's a secret that he was picked on a little bit last year by opposing offenses. Um, And he was a guy that, frankly, you were hoping if you were a Florida coach or a Florida fan um, that he wasn't a guy that was going to be counted on other than for probably special teams work in, in extreme reserve, you know, scenarios at cornerback. However, you know, going into this fall, he was the third guy at Nickelback behind Huggins and Trey Dean. And with Huggins out right now, Florida really doesn't have a primary backup Nickelback, a guy that is strictly repping at Nickelback. So when you're looking at that, you know, that Nickelback group with the safeties um, in practices, it's only Trey Dean right now. So uh, there's a lot of different things that Florida can do package wise. And I think the Gators are going to be forced to do that a little bit. Um, such as maybe playing with Amari Bernie a little bit more in a nickel role, even though he's still, you know, somewhat on the field as a as a starting linebacker. Um, you know, they they can potentially drop Jeremiah Moon into a nickel type role in coverage here and there. Um, and then the other thing that you know that Dan Mullen mentioned the other day when we talked to him was Marco Wilson as a possibility to move over there. The thing about moving Wilson over is 
you're relying on freshman cornerbacks to step in at this point. You know, the Kyrie Elams, the Jaden Hills, Chester Kimbros. So more than anything, I think, you know, the McWilliams loss, it's it's not a huge it's not gonna greatly affect, I don't think, wins and losses for Florida or anything like that. Um, but with Huggins currently out as well, it really increases to me the pressure on those freshman cornerbacks to step up and be able to fill in, you know, potentially into a starting spot if there are any injuries in the secondary. Before we move on, can you explain the Florida nickelback position? Because I think it's a little bit different than what maybe people um, are used to. I think when you say nickelback, third corner a guy that's going to line up and take the slot receiver and and mm-hmm. cover him man to man um but florida's a little bit different you mentioned armari bernie you mentioned jeremiah moon could potentially move there kind of explain how it's different than maybe the traditional nickelback that most are used to sure yeah well i think the biggest thing is it doesn't have as clearly defined a role as you know that nickel guy where you're used to seeing him just cover a slot receiver and that's it um florida uses its nickelbacks quite a lot on the blitz you saw chauncey gardner do that a ton last year yeah um and then basically I, I think the idea in theory is that florida has a slightly bigger more physical guy there that's capable of playing in the box where if you're not going against a superpower you know lsu type team uh where maybe you'd go to a more traditional 4-3 base you can get away with having that nickelback in the box um, and that gives you some flexibility to disguise coverages and blitz different guys where you can, you know, use your nickel to slide out and cover where a corner would and then suddenly blitz the corner um, or vice versa. You get that guy a little bit bigger when you got like a Jeremiah Moon there, um, but is also a versatile enough guy like Moon to drop in coverage. It's just basically a, a more of a hybrid role than probably most teams have. And I think it allows Todd Grantham to disguise things a lot more in terms of who's coming at you on the pass rush. One of the articles you wrote this week from Mullen uh, was about alpha dogs and the, and the leaders and the leadership the ship's looking for. Mullen says he's still looking for alpha dog leaders. I guess kind of what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I think a lot of people hear alpha dog and they immediately assume it's the loud guy, the guy that's, you know, given the Tim Tebow 30 minutes for the rest of our live speech in the locker room. He's yelling at guys, you know, he's getting the crowd fired up. And I think that's all part of what Mullen's looking for in leadership but I really took it more of a subtle message to Felipe Franks that that's not always what you need to be a good leader. Like it can't always be full throttle. You're on the gas loud um, because he talked about Franks and his leadership quite a bit. And the thing that really stuck out to me was more um, knowing when to say things to certain guys. So Felipe Franks, when he's working with the first team O line can be very vocal, can be very passionate. Hey, you needed to be on that check. What, what are you doing? Be on them and be hard about it. But when you're working with, you know, say Felipe Franks is going with the second team line and a guy doesn't line up in the right way or something, the the message from Franks needs to be more, you know, in terms of, hey, this is how we need to do it rather than, hey, man, get that right. Um, it's just it's a different tone you strike. And I think that to me is more what Dan Mullen's talking about when you talk about alpha dog leadership is one, that component of knowing uh, kind of how to strike certain tones and when to be that rah-rah guy versus being more. Uh, laid back, hey, encouraging, this kind of thing. But then I think the second component of that is also knowing how to work yourself and really, really develop when the coaches aren't around, push other guys to develop when the coaches aren't around. And I think Florida has some of those guys. I don't know that they have anybody that has the perfect combination uh, of all those things. And then the other interesting thing that I thought Mullen made a point of when he was talking about this is a lot of these Florida players just don't have a great example to look to. Because Florida hasn't really won big. And I was I was thinking about this the other day. You look at that 2012 team. 
uh, when they went to the Sugar Bowl and won 11 games in the regular season. A lot of those guys on that team had connections to 2009. So they saw champions win. And even as you're getting into 2015, 2016, uh, some of those guys had connections to the 12 team where they saw some of that. Uh, At this point, being almost a decade down the road from those national championships, Florida doesn't really have huge examples that they can point to. And so this is part of where I think Dan Mullen is really going to have to be good as a coach is program building and developing that mentality within his players. And I think that's where he's working with Felipe Franks probably more than anybody else on the team uh, this year so that he can get Franks to that point. And then once people see Franks at that point, that starts to breed down to Emory Jones and further on down the depth chart at each position to where Florida really start to have that core leadership from the players rather than the coaches. We're just about two weeks away from the Miami game, first game of the season for the Hurricanes uh, and uh, the Gators. Um, what are some things to watch, uh, you know, the rest of fall camp for Florida as they head into that game? Well, I, I won't take too long on this. I mean, I think um, the primary things are the development of the offensive line. Um, you know, Felipe Franks had a little bit of an up and down scrimmage, and I think some of that is related to the offensive line. Right now, the O-line's quite a bit further ahead in terms of run blocking than they are pass blocking, which is a good thing in some ways because Florida should be able to lean on the run game uh, to kind of work out the kinks in the pass game. I think Florida should be very effective on the run. But kind of as camp continues, just just monitoring how that first team's coming along in terms of pass protection. And then also which of those second team guys they can start to count on to maybe um, you know fill in some of those gaps on the depth chart. I know Ethan White's a guy as a freshman that they're really high on. He's gotten some first team reps in there. So they're obviously, you know, they're seeing some things they like. It's about consistency on that unit. That's probably the number one thing I'd say for Florida. And then really the only other thing to watch at this point when you've got a team, you know, with so many veterans on both sides of the ball, I think is is really just the injury situation. You know, we talked about CJ McWilliams and kind of the the trickle down effect that injury has in terms of if you do lose a guy. Um that, you know, the secondary right now is the real spot I worry about in terms of injuries. If there are any more injuries there, I think you start to get to the place where you were last year where, you know, one guy leaving for even a couple snaps in a game like, you know, C.J. Henderson against Georgia last year can really hurt you. But to me, those are the, the two primary areas I'd watch going forward. All right, Thomas, that'll be it for the Swamp 24-7 podcast. Subscribe to us, give us five stars, and we'll be back later probably talking about that. Florida-Miami game to start the season.